The Word of God is written for lives. It's for us. It's for you and for me. You know what lifts the burdens at Calvary? It's Jesus. And if you want to know more about Him, read His Word. The Bible is what is on God's mind. If you want to know what is on God's mind, read the Word of God. We want to talk today and we want to look today at Revelation chapter 6 verse 17. Who shall be able to stand? That's a question mark. It is a question what so many people can ask. Who will be able to stand? We are busy reading through the book of Revelation and, and studying and preaching through it. And my prayer is, is that God will touch your heart. That He will speak to you personally. Speak to us collectively, everybody as a church. Because this is written for the church. It amazes me that so many churches do not want to read or study the book of Revelation. I'm not afraid to read the contentious things in the book of Revelation. People have got different opinions about the word of God as it is. But there is a blessing in hearing the revelation in reading it, and then it says the third thing, in doing it. We started last week with these really busy chapters from chapter 6, and it's going to run all the way to chapter 19. Fast-paced, action-filled. And already last week we started seeing the action that's happening on the earth. Once the church is removed, once this last seven years start, which is owed by Israel to God, if you go back and you have to read the book of Revelation with the book of Daniel, you can't understand Revelation without Daniel and without Ezekiel and without the Old Testament. You need to read the whole book. This is the last, the last book of the Bible. So we started looking at these, these seals that's been opened one by one and we saw four horsemen coming out. The first one was the white horse, the Antichrist. We identified him as the Antichrist. This man will come on the scene and with a bloodless, with a bloodless war, he will take over the whole world. They will trust in him. They will look at him and he will bring pre peace between Christians, between Roman Catholics, between the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Islam, he will bring peace amongst every one of those. They'll say, surely this must be for, the, for Islam, the Mad-Eye. They say it's Christ. They say it's this and all of that. But this man will appear as if he's Christ. That's what the word Antichrist means. It's instead of Christ. I want to start this morning just to think about that Antichrist. And I want to go back to 1 John. And I want us to look at chapter 2, verse 18. He says, little children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. The last hour has arrived. He talks to you and me. It's a warning from John to us, today, to this church, to every child of God, to the world. It's a warning. He says, little children, the last hour has arrived. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming even now, many antichrists have come, by which we, do, we know that it is the last hour. I was preparing this morning and I thought, look, I want to bring the scripture verse to you because it's a serious warning to you and me. People are looking for the man, for the antichrist. He will appear. He will appear. He's coming. 
But here, John says there's already been antichrists. People who pull people after themselves. Set themselves up as Christ's. And they're pulling a lot of people away. And I feel the urge this morning to warn this church about that. Because the next verse, dear friends, is happening in our midst as I speak this morning. Look at it. It says in verse 19, They went out from us. What does that mean? They have been with them. You're absolutely right, sister. They came out from amongst us. That tells me that these antichrist is coming out of the church. They are sitting amongst us in the church. They've got a message, but it's not the right message. They've got a message that sounds really true and authentic, but it is not. And this is a warning for you and me. This is a warning for the whole church that we need to keep our ears open. We need to listen. Then we need to listen through the Spirit of God. He gave us a spirit of discernment to know what is preached out there. This comes out from amongst us, he says. But they were not of us. You've heard about the wolves in sheep clothing. You've heard about that. This is it. He says they were not of us. They came, and over the centuries, we saw the seven churches. And now I've explained to you that in a lot of them, these Jews would go in amongst the Christians, and they will fellowship with them just to go out to the Romans and give them up to be slaughtered. If you think that is bad, worse is coming. These people are deceiving Christians today by the truckloads, by the dozens by the hundreds and the thousands, there is a message that I hear today when I listen to sermons, which sounds right, but it's not right. And the, the fact of the matter is, friend, they are coming from amongst us. Not everybody who's got the, the mantle and the name of church amongst them, not all there has got a sound doctrine. And we've got to be careful about that. He says, if they had been with us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an, an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You need to underline that word in your Bible, that passage there. What is the measurement? What is the plumb line for you and for me today to see that these people are not from us? There's one plumb line we've got. It is the Word of God. If these people do not preach the Word of God, they are not from us. If these people don't proclaim the truths of the Word of God in politics, they are not of us. They will pull masses among, uh, after themselves. No wonder that, that John says in this passage right there, he says there are, there's an Antichrist coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. They're amongst us, friends. And this is where we need to be watchful and prayerful. This is where we need to see. Because the things that we're going to see in the next two seals, friend, first of all, if you are not saved by the blood of the Lamb, I am actually urging you to run to the cross, to fall on your knees, to repent your sin, and to ask God to save you. Otherwise, there's terrible things coming for this earth. And this earth is so asleep, they don't even know what's going to hit them. 
But there is a shocking truth as well that people in the church don't know what's going to hit them. Because they don't know these things. Verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. There is something like discernment. And you know what I say? It's not a discernment when you see somebody and you don't like his face and you go, I've discerned that guy and oh no, I don't like him. No, you discern what comes out of his mouth and you do a biblical discernment. You discern what they say. And then you test it by the word. And let me say what I say so many times and you've heard me say it so many times. No person preaching on the pulpits today is above testing. No one. I've said it so many times, you can test what I preach and I need to be able that you come to me and you ask questions and we discuss it, that we have to look back into the scriptures. No one, no one, there's not a man on this earth who knows the whole Bible. No one. Oh, they might have read through it and they might have studied it and they might have done a lot of things and get doctor's degrees. I've got nothing against that. But there's no single person until, until we die and we see Him in glory and then we will know every single passage of this, Eugene. We will know the Word better than today. Better than today. You say, why do you come this way? Because there are so many people. I mean, even if you turn to Deuteronomy 13 verse 13, the Word of God says, corrupt, corrupt men have come out from amongst you and enticed you, the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Let's go and serve other gods. They call it Jesus. You, you see, friends, these days I see it happen so often. Jesus, the name Jesus is used as a magic wand. A magic wand. They will come and say, in the name of Jesus! I say it with reverence and fear, in the name of Jesus. It's a magic wand for some people. If I can only say that name, and, and that is a... For me, that is one of the most wonderful names I've ever heard and, and learned to know in my life, but it's not a magic wand. We can't put Jesus on a pedestal and say, now you'll perform for us like a monkey do. You can't do that. He's up here, friends. On His level, there's no one. On our level, there's so many others. So we need to understand that as we continue, as we think about this white rider on the, the rider on the white horse who's going to come, the Antichrist. But his agents are already here. They are already here. And it is our task to know and understand them. Just flick in your Bible back to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, just a few pages before, uh, to the front. We're doing a little bit of Bible work here this morning, don't we? Amen. I miss the Bible study days when we just open up the Scriptures and as the Spirit leads, we go to passages. Look here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, now let me just say, Deuteronomy 13. You need to go and read it this afternoon. Because it talks about false prophets. Do we have false prophets in our world today? You betcha, we have a lot of false prophets. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 13. He talks and he warns about them back in the day. Back in the Old Testament. There was already these false people. And he said it there in 13.13. They came from amongst you. From amongst you. From you they came out and they deceived the city to pull them after false gods. Other gods. Which is not our Heavenly Father. 
And here, Paul says the same thing. He talks about a great apostasy that's going to happen. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 1, and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in the mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There were people going around and saying, Oh, Christ has come already. And they were shaken in their minds. They say, oh, we've missed it. Their timing was wrong, they thought. And he writes this letter to them. He says, do not worry about that. I'm writing it to you now. And then he says in verse 3, let, not one, let no one deceive you by any means. What does it mean? It means that if he writes it there, that they could be deceived. And this is all of these people sitting on the fringe trying to make a name for themselves, running and looking at all of these gimmicks around, which is fringing around the Word of God. But they don't go to the Word of God, the core Word of God in context, and bring out the truths of God out of that. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits at God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You say, what has this got to do with me hearing these words? Friend, you need to watch and pray. Now is the time. I've said to you what John said. It's the last hour. It's the last hour. Soon. It could happen today, tomorrow. I don't know how you believe where the rapture takes place, but that doesn't matter to me at this point in time. But what happens, friends, if He comes and He raptures the church out of this world and these things happen one after the other and you were not taken up by that, there is serious things coming. Do not any, let anyone deceive you for what is not Christ. With that in mind, let's turn now in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. As we see that these seven seals is not sequential. Uh, the, 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 we're going to find seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. We've done four seals. And we're going to see another two seals, and then we're going to see a pause, and we're going to see the seventh seal. I want you to understand that these seven seals gives us that time frame of seven years. From the first seal to the seventh seal, there is your seven years. And then after that, the trumpets is going to blow. It's not another time. Those trumpets fits in within that seven years. It's like when you watch a movie or, or a scene, and you watch it through, and they rewind back and they say, let's go and concentrate on this one area. We go deeper in here, watch it over again. And they say, it's like Groundhog Day, let's go back and we'll watch it again. And more detail are filled in for you and for me to see what it is. Friend, you and I can't. We can't grasp. The full secrets of God just like that. We won't be able to handle it. We just won't. So let's look at chapter 6 verse 9. Revelation 6 verse 9. He says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they crowd with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? 
And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they shall rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So he opens up this fifth seal. And now the focus shifts from the earth up into heaven. The people on the earth can't see what you see here in that seven years. It's not as if they are standing here. They are now just running around trying to stay alive. They are caught up with all of the things that's happening in the world. They've got no thought in their minds to look up. I'm going to prove it to you in the next seal. There's no thought to look up into heaven. They can't see it like us looking up into these clouds today. But for him now, for John, he sees something happen in heaven. And how privileged are we to see this? First of all, he sees, I saw under the altar. He sees an altar. The souls of them that were slain. And for the word of God and for their testimony. That's the two questions there. Who are they? And why were they there? You see, there's, there's people who believe that this is the church. And it's at that point that that happened that the church is, is pulled up under the altar. And we have to look at that and answer those questions. First of all, this is the souls of them that were slain. They were killed. Now, if you want to say it's the church up there, there are many people today peacefully who have not been killed for being a child of God. But these people specifically were slain for two reasons. That is for the word of God and for the testimony that they had. They were killed. And even today we find that there are many people, even uh, as we sit here this morning, there are people killed for who they are, children of God, testimony that they hold. In the Middle East, people are beheaded for being Christians. They pull them out. They could surround the place like this. And as they go out, they say, renounce Christ, take on Allah, or your head will be, will be chopped off. What will you do? What will you do? We've got it so easy here in Australia. But I'll tell you one thing, friend, it is coming. You look at the rise around this world, it is coming. People are killed for what they believe in. How strong is your faith? I pray to God that a lot of people don't come to that point. It's happening. These people, it happened to them. Why were they killed? For two reasons. The Word of God and for the testimony which they held. You see, but it's the same. That happened to, to uh, John. Let's look at the Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse, verse 9. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island for Patmos that is called Patmos. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Two things. For the word of God and for the testimony. Are you being persecuted for that today? Of course we are. You go into your workplace and stand up there and say, hey, just before we go into the work today, hey mates, can we all just gather together here in this meeting room? I'm just going to read out of the Word of God. What will happen? They'll say, you're crazy. You'll go in there by 8.30 when your, your shifts start or 9 o'clock. I'll tell you now, by 10 you might be fired. 
If you just open the Word of God. I'll tell you what, some people will find it offensive in workplaces if you take your Bible and you open it up and put it on, on your desk, just like that, and you continue working. They'll find it offensive and soon enough you'll have the supervisor coming around and say, you're not allowed to have your Bible open on your desk. Yes? It's the Word of God. These people were killed for the Word of God. And, he says, therefore, their testimony. You see, the thing is, they had a threefold testimony, these people. Threefold. And there's a threefold testimony that you and I need to have. The first one is a lip testimony. What is a lip testimony? You say something. You open up your mouth and you testify. You know that there's a lot of children of God, Christians, who do not have a lip testimony? They are what you call secret agents of the faith. <laughs> yes, have you heard about them? They're secret agents. One day when you find them out, and say, Oh, I didn't know you're a Christian. We've been working here for so long. Oh, I'm so surprised. Me too. Wow. That's great. Secret agents. And then when you ask them, Why were you so quiet? No, oh, no, no, no. I'm undercover. I work undercover for the Holy Spirit. I'm deep undercover. Don't blow my cover. You see, these people had lip service. You couldn't quiet them. They, they brought the disciples then. They brought them and they said to them, you're not allowed. You shall not preach in the city again. You know what Peter said? He said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to preach. The, the apostles had lip testimony. They talk, they preach, they kairu. Kairu is the Greek word. Kairu means what I'm doing now. They were loud. I think they were even louder than me. Standing on corners there and proclaiming the word of God. There's a place and a time for lip testimony. These people had it. Let me just clarify who these people are. If they're not the church who's been raptured up, these people are the people who come to Christ after it's taken place, when these things started to happen. No doubt, friends, you've got family and friends who know about your testimony because you did talk to them about it. They got angry at you. They said, oh, don't come and talk to us about that. Don't talk to us about these things of God. You know what's going to happen, friend? The day when the rapture takes place and the church is removed, they're going to call your number first because the whole world is going to be noticing what's going on. CNN will be all over it. Fox News will be all over it. MSNB, uh, you call the B's and the C's and the T's. They will be all over it. And I'll tell you one thing. The first thing they're going to do is they pick up the phone and call your phone number and you're not going to be there. And then, and then the words is going to be coming back. Oh, you know what he did? He always read his Bible. He always testified, lip testimony about Jesus Christ. Now he's not here. No, friend, you, you say, how's it going to take place? Because they say the Holy Spirit is lifted from the earth. The restrainer, yes, it's going to happen. But friend, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there is evidence that the Holy Spirit came and he worked on the earth. It's going to be the same. It's not the acceptable of the year of the Lord. It's not like now with this freedom. You can walk in and you can walk out and you hear the gospel. Now you will have to do it with strain. You have to do it under fear. You have to do it and, and, and take the chance to be killed. These are the people. 
who we see under the altar. They are poured out there as a blood offering. This altar reflects back to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 14 when the blood of the sacrifice was put at the foot of the altar. And here we find now these people, the martyrs, who's down at the foot of the altar. It's a beautiful picture. Why were they there? Because they had lip testimony. Not only that, they also had a life testimony. You see, you get both sides of this. You get one group who's only got the lip test testimony. Oh, yeah, no, they're on fire for Christ and they'll say a lot of things, but their lives don't show it. Do you know people like that? Oh, I do. I do. I see them often. They praise God. They worship God. They read. They can quote scriptures to you, but you look at their lives. You look at their lives and you say, what's happening here? There's no testimony. There's no fruit. I, I put it to you this way. If you are such, like they call it, a great or a big Christian. You see, I don't believe in big and small Christians. For me, there's no such thing. But anyway, there's people who say that. They say, oh, he's a big Christian. That guy, man. You should see him every Sunday worshiping God, man. You should hear how he quotes scriptures. Man, he is a big Christian. But then I want to go to your workplace. And I want to ask them, not if you're a big Christian, not if you preach there every day, not if you do Bible bashing, I want to ask them, how are you acting in a difficult situation? Are you one of those guys who just lose your cool and fly off the handle and start it, blah, 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 and all of these kind of things? And I say, friend, your life's got to testify about it. I've read this book about this, uh, this missionary he went to China, and he, he had lip testimony. He preached. He shared the gospel, and many came to faith, and then they caught him. They put him in jail. And you know what he says? He didn't went into jail and say, Oh, you know what, I was doing all this work for the Lord, and now I find myself in jail. It's so unfair. No, no. He saw it as an opportunity. He writes there in the book, he says, Now these people can't run anywhere. They've got walls around them. I've got them right there. I've got time. They've got time because they're in there for time. Hey, let's do lip testimony. And then the guards came around and they said it to the officers and the officers pulled him and gave him a few more straps and uh, beatings. Okay, that's what I mean by straps. And they hit him up and, and they said to him, if you open up your mouth again and preach about Jesus Christ in this jail, we'll kill you. And he said it. He said, he started praying to God. He says, Lord, I'm like Peter. I can't stop it. And he says it's as if, now he didn't proclaim to hear the voice of God like many people today. He says it's as if God said, preach the gospel if you have to use your words. And you know what he started to do? They didn't get a lot of food. He said, but the little morsels that they got, he broke it in two and he gave more to the other people and he eat his little part. God sustained him. He said if somebody was beaten down, he was the first one there to, to encourage that person. And by an act of love, people looked at him and he said they came to him while it's quiet and so on. They said, what is in you? Other people are swearing. The state, the communist state, they're swearing, they're cursing against him. They beat him, they swear, they kick back until they are broken to a pulp. But you, they hit you. 
They kick you, they spat on you. Still you come out here with a smile and you look after others. You see, friends, we need to have a life testimony as well. You can't just have the one and not the other one. And then they also had one, and that is a death or a blood testimony. These people under the altar. Have you got it? Have you got it? You say, but how can I have a blood testimony right now? Yes, you can, because... Uh, Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, he says, I urge you brothers that you give your lives as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That means that I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Him. I say, Lord, this big body belongs to you. Use it the way that you want to use it. You see, that is it. I don't have to wait until they come and kill me for my testimony. No, no. I can give it up already. Everything I have is His. Everything I have. Your job is His. Your status that you have is His. Your possessions that you have is His. It belongs to Him. You know that it can be taken just like that. Do you know that? Just like that. You have a, a big bank balance and you go, Man, I've made it. I can sit back. I've worked so hard. You know what happens? Out of your control, somebody sits in a little room and they change the law and your money, your currency is worth half of it. You've lost half of it. And that's coming. The only thing that we can build on, the only thing that we can hold on is Him. It's Him. And that's what I want to hold on to. You see, these souls were slain for what they believe in. They were killed for what they believe in. The Word of God and for the testimony which they held. How are you on the Word of God? Corrie Boom, you know her? She was in Poland, and the Germans invaded Poland, and they grabbed them. They, they got all of these Polish people, and, and eventually came down to her house. And it was her and her sister and her father, her dad, I think he was in his 70s or, or close to his 80s. And they rounded them all up, put them on a truck, and, and they, they took them to a school gymnasium, and they put them down there. And she eventually came to her father and came, her sister was there and a few of the friends that they knew. And, I, and this, this is with me. They sat down. They sat down. And her father said, let's open the Word of God and read from the Word of God. And she thought by herself, but Dad, they didn't bring your Bible with. It's not with you. And you know what he did? He said, tonight we will read from this passage. And he quoted the passage. And as they sat there, he was quoting the whole passage out of his mind. That is how he was invested in the Word of God. And then the Word of God started being invested in him so that he can live a life with the Word of God. Have you got that? My brother, I commend you for letting your children learn the Word of God. They were killed for the Word of God and for their testimony which they held. I better hurry on. I can talk long about that because that's important. You see, they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood from them that dwell on the earth? You see, that is different from us, isn't it? These people were crying out for what? For vengeance. Of what? Of their blood. Is that what Christ said we need to do today? No, what did He say? He says, Come on, forgive them. That is our prayer. He was hanging on the cross. And they killed him. And what did he say? He says, Father, forgive them. 
And then disciples after disciples after him took that same testimony. Stephen, who was martyred in the book of Acts, he preached to them. He had lip testimony. He showed them a life. He had a life testimony. And when they got so enraged, the Bible says they gnashed their teeth. That's how cross they became with him. And then what happens? They pick up the stones and they start stoning him. Did he curse back to them? No, no, no. He says, Father, forgive them. That is our prayer. But these people has got a different prayer. Have you noticed? They said, how long, Lord, will you avenge us? How long is their cry for a vengeance? And white robes were given unto them, every one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest for a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should, not be, uh, that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. You know what comfort comes out of this? People are losing their lives for Christ, but they are not lost. They are gathered under the altar as, as, as blood that's poured out at the foot of the altar. Let's hurry on to the next seal. He says, And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the fig tree cast her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Friends, do you understand what we are reading here? This is a catastrophic event that you've never seen before. It amazes me that there are people out there who say that these things already happened. It amazes me. And then they have followers by the thousand to follow them. Great earthquake. It talks about an earthquake, not just an earthquake, a great earthquake. It talks about the sun becoming black. Do you want to be around when these things happen? It talks about the moon becoming like blood. And, and let me just say it here. You know, when I look at signs out there, I put it in context. I put it in the timeline. These things happened to this scale in the last seven years. So there are many people today, and the Bible warns about that. He says, people will be in the desert and shout, Christ, 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 and lots will run to Him, and lots will run there. I don't look at the nature for signs. I look at the Word of God for signs. There is so many people in the last 10 years who came out and say, oh, the moon is going to align, and all oh, this is going to happen, and all oh, that day is going to happen. Let me tell you one thing, friend. I stand on the timeline of God. On the timeline of God. I forgot the man's name, and, and it, it might come back while I'm talking, but there was this rabbi. All of a sudden, they found this rabbi who had this teaching about about the blood moons and all of these things. And, and you know what? Thousands went and there was a date that he said, this is going to happen. And guess what happened? Nothing happened. And then they came back and I said, well, how can you came, come back from this? It's the Shemitah. That's right. There you go. And I'm going to get his name in a few minutes. Maybe some of you know his name. Mark Blitz. It wasn't him I was thinking about. There was this other rabbi. 
But anyway, this rabbi is there and, and he goes on. He says, oh, the Shemitah. And this is the super Shemitah and the blood moons. and all. Look, my friend, by all means, if he's got a vision for that, let him have the vision. But I stand on the vision of God. And this is the thing, dear friends. The day came. The day came. And in the morning, everybody was preparing. Nothing happened. Because I wonder if, they, if he reads the Bible. These things happen at the end. And then, then I thought, how is he going to return back from this? I mean, by then they should have burnt all his books. They should have said, false, false, false. And you know, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 13 and you stand on the word of God like I do, they should have stoned him, killed him, because you only get one chance. 100%. You know what they did? They said, oh no, the Shemitah did happen, the blood moons did happen, but in the heavenlies. Of course. That's not what I want to teach today, friends. But be careful. He says stars will fall from heaven. Have you seen that already happen? It is coming. He says heaven departed like a scroll. Can you imagine that? This heaven departed like a scroll. You know what a scroll is? It's a round thing. You roll it open. And then you start rolling it up. I'm telling you, people will stand there and their hearts will shake like fear from the earth looking up. And mountains and islands were moved. Mountains were moved. Islands were moved. This is a massive catastrophe coming for this earth. But you know what they love to do? Oh, we'll just watch Hollywood. We watch it in a movie and we believe what Hollywood say. Look. Isaiah spoke about the same thing. He says, in Isaiah 13 verse 10, he says, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause a light to shine. And I will punish the world for the evil, and the wicked for the iniquity, and I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease, and will lay low, low the haughtiness of the terrible. The reason why this catastrophe is going to happen is to punish the earth, not the church. Is to punish the earth. For what? For their sin. What can you and I learn out of this? God hates sin, and sin will be punished. It is coming. Look, friend, I know, I know. They are getting away with a lot of things now. I've heard Christians, they say, we live a life acceptable to God. I look at the godless and it seems as if they are, are, are living a better life than us. Have you noticed? But their day is coming. And friend, if their day is looking like what we've just read, then I'd much rather take my life in Christ right now. Their day is coming. He says the, sun, the, the, the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil. There will be a day of punishment. Isaiah 34 verse 4. He says all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll. All the host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine. And as fruit falling from a fig tree. As a fig tree. These are terrible things, friends. But it's coming. Now one would think, one would think that these people on the earth, when these things happen, they will repent, wouldn't you? One would think you see these things happen, they will fall on their faces and cry out to God, say, God have mercy on us. Mercy, mercy, merciful God. Do you think they would do that? No. No. No, that's not what happens. Look at verse 15, Revelation 6, 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, 
and the rich men. Who's the richest man on earth today? <laughs> Bill Gates. If, if this happened in your time, Bill Gates, it's talking about you. Now, please don't go out and say, I've read Bill Gates into the Bible, okay? <laughs> but this talks about him, if he's the richest, or some of the rich. The rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. One would think you look into heaven and you cry out to a living God and say, have mercy on me. But no, no, they go and hide themselves. You know what it reflects back to? It reflects back to Genesis when Adam and Eve were standing there and they committed sin. And the Bible says that the voice of God came through the garden and He says, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where are you? What did He do? They were hiding from God. One would have thought Adam runs out and say, God, God, please, Please forgive me, please forgive me, because we've eaten of the fruit, we were disobedient, but they didn't. It is the same today. People hear gospel message after gospel message. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit said to people's hearts today, He says, where are you? Where are you? But people are hiding from God. You would think, you would think people come to Christ. And they say, no, we'll take our chances. When these things happen, then I'll call on God. No, no, no. I've got evidence in the Word of God that they run for the mountains and they say, fall on us. And you see, these are the mighty men. They look up down upon you and say, what, what are you? What, what are you? What's in you? There's nothing in me of myself. Everything you see is Him. I'm not afraid of any person on this earth or intimidated by them anymore. Oh, they can walk Donald Trump through these doors and you'll have people who just go, Oh, Donald! Oh, Donald! Friend, if this is Donald Trump in these times and he's a great man and he hasn't repented and he's not a saved, blood-washed child of God, he will be one of those people looking for a hole in the mountain. And, and let me tell you this, it will come so suddenly it's not as if he can say, look, I'm going to give a few million or billion to prepare a nice place and lay it out of gold. My own little place. No, no. Friends, if they're going to run and say, hide us. Hide from us. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of Him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's interesting, isn't it? I find this fascinating and I hope you saw what I just read. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, now they say, Oh, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's what they cried out. The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? There is our question. Who's able to stand? You see, the Lamb came once. He was born in a manger. And, and the angel said He will come to take the sin away from the world. He was born as one of us. He grew up in this world in an acceptable way. He walked amongst men, but they rejected Him. They put Him to the cross. Friends, He's coming again. But when He comes again, He ain't going to be born in a manger again. 
He's not going to walk amongst people to be touched again. No, no. I read when He comes again. You know what's going to happen? This, this seal here is just before His coming. His second coming. His coming and this earth is going to be shaken. And these mighty men, these great men, these rich men, you know what's going to happen? They're going to run for the mountains. Because He's coming to set up His kingdom. He says here, who will be able to stand? The question is against what? Stand against what? Who will be able to stand against the Lamb? Who will be able to stand against the Lamb and the wrath of the Lamb? You know what I find so wonderful this morning? That I read in the Bible that he went to a garden called Gethsemane. And that is where I find my solace. That is where I find my peace. He went to that garden and the Bible says that he drank the cup of wrath on our behalf. When he went to the cross and he paid for our debt, that lamb, that lamb that's been rejected today by many, he took that wrath upon himself. But then he's going to come back, friends. And you know what he's going to come back? He's going to come back to judge the world. And here we find it now, against what? Let's see in Nahum chapter 1 verse 5. And there's so many passages, I just picked out a few. He says, the mountains quake before Him. Before who? Before Christ. The hills melt. Imagine yourself, the mountains quake. We just read it here when that seal opens up, a great earthquake. We saw the things that's going to, catastrophic things happen in nature. And here he says, the hills melt. And the earth heaves at His presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before His indignation? See the same question. It's asked in the Old Testament. It's the weight, the burdens, the weight of sin is carried through. Who can stand when all these things happen? And who can endure the fierceness of His anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by Him. You know what rocks He's talking about? We read it in Revelation. The stars drop like, like figs. It's thrown down by Him. Friends, can you imagine the power of God? No, you can't. We are talking about a mighty God here. Then I find it absolutely fascinating that you hear people who want to fight God. What's going on with your mind? All I can say is submit to Him. We find a clue here of who can stand in Psalm 130. We find a clue. In Psalm 130, and again, there's so many verses. I, I can keep you the whole day. It says in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, like you said it in Nahum, like you said it in many other passages, if you're against sin, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's the question again. Who can stand 
if you mark iniquities. But then he gives the answer. He says in verse 4, But there is forgiveness for you. You should shout hallelujah. There is forgiveness for you. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. John writes about this in John chapter 3, verse 36. He says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. You see how wonderful the Bible it just, it just completes itself? He who believes in the Son. Who is the Son? It's Jesus Christ. He who believes in the Son. Not in Allah. Not in a higher being. Not in a, in a higher power. Not in a yin and a yang. Not in, no, no, he who believes in the Son, in the Son of Man, the Son of God. We went through those names when we studied through John. He says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Who can stand? Who can stand against God? He who believes in the Son. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But listen to this. The wrath of God abides on him. You, you know what it, you, you know how I see that verse? I see that verse that if you are the, the, un, the, the, un, the, go, the ungodly and you walk around in, in daily life, you see what I see on your shoulders. Everywhere you go, there abides the wrath of God on you just waiting for each time to be fulfilled. Whew. Have you ever thought of it that way? The wrath of God against sin. It's that weight. That's on you. It's the weight that's on the people who are who are not fearing God, who drive past this place. It's the weight on this world as you walk in the city. And there are the people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, who are not saved. You rub shoulders with them. You talk to them. You deal with them. You give your money over the counter to that young girl behind the counter. It is her. And, and, and listen, listen, listen to me. If she's not saved by the blood of the Lamb, it is the wrath of God abides on her. Have you seen people like that? Wherever you go, you walk into there's this young, beautiful young man helping you. But listen, if he's not saved by the blood of the Lamb, if he's not have the Son of God and eternal life, you know what rests upon his shoulders? You know what abides on him? The wrath of God! It abides on him! Your family members, think of this. Let, let, let's bring it home. Let's bring it closer. Your family members... You, you know what happens? I must say, dear friends, you, you know, the wrath of God abides on them. Why? Because they do not believe on the Son. Who can stand? Who can stand? They run to the mountains. Now they curse God. Now they say, we don't want anything to do with your Jesus. Who's this Jesus? Away with Jesus. Who's this Christian? Away with this Christian. But there cometh a day when they'll run to the mountains and say, hide us. Hide us. You see, that believes. It's not just somebody who comes up and says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Like we find many of those. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Even the Muslims do. Do you know even the demons do? Did you know that? Do you know that even Satan does? He believes in Jesus. You see, let me just unpack that word for you quickly there. Believes there has got three Three legs that it stands on. It's three foundations that leaf stands on. The first one is notestia. Notestia is a, is a Latin word for it. It means data. Data. It means it's the basic information about Jesus Christ. 
So beliefs means that when I teach about Jesus Christ here and I open up the Bible and I start reading it, it's the basic information about Jesus Christ. You need to believe in that. You need to read it. You need to learn more from it. And then the second thing is essentious. That's another Latin word. It means you need to agree and accept the truth about Jesus. I agree with it and now I accept it. That it's true. And then comes the third one. And this is the critical one. It's fiducia. Fiducia means I trust it personally for my redemption. When people talk to me about their faith, I want to see all three of these facets in that faith. You need to trust in that. And he says there, who, he who believes in the Son. In other words, he who had that basic data about Jesus Christ and agrees with the Son, and then he trusts in it personally. What happens? He has eternal life. And then, only then, is that person able to stand. To stand against the wrath of God. And you thought you had a lot of things to worry about in your life. Come to the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith. Justified by what faith? That doubt of Christ. Agreeing with it and trusting in it personally. We have peace with God. We don't have to stand against the wrath of God because we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you can stand against the wrath of God is through Jesus Christ because He, at the Garden of Gethsemane, drank the cup on your behalf. By whom also we have access by faith into His grace. Wherein we stand, you see? The question in Revelation is, who can stand? The question in the Old Testament is, who can stand? Now we know who can stand. We can stand in Jesus Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Who can stand? The sixth seal has been opened. 